Good morning, campers, and welcome to another beautiful day at Camp Gargoyle, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm the camp director, the Gargoyle. And I'm camp counselor, Kai American. And uh, t- today we're talking about another camp movie. Are we really? Yeah. Man. So, need, such a surprise, right? We need to, to change up this format. Movies. People are going to get sick of this. Are we getting sick of it yet? No, I don't think so. Okay, good. Mostly because I'm super looking forward to the next movie in the series. And also, I cannot wait to talk about this movie in the series. This movie being Sleepaway Camp. Holy crap. <laughs> Sleepaway Camp. Man. I... So when uh, when I first suggested that we were going to do a camp series and you're like, oh, we have to do heavyweights. Yeah. For me, it was we have to do Ernest Goes to Camp and Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. Well, we had talked about doing Friday the 13th, but we had already done the first Friday the 13th movie. Yes. And so we kind of put Sleepaway Camp in as our substitute. And technically is Friday the 13th a camp movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we, we have to get into this because it takes place before camp and yes. it has camp counselors. <laughs> and Yeah. So uh, we're not going to spend too long talking about this because this might be a uh, discussion topic that comes up later. But... Friday the 13th takes place before the camp actually opens. Mm. Does that mean that it is a camp movie or is not a camp movie? Because if all that you need for a camp movie is just like the setting of a camp, then what about like, you know, kids that go to an abandoned camp during the winter or something like that? You know, like, does that make it a camp movie? It makes it a camp movie, just not a summer camp movie. Right. This is kind of like the, the debate the with Die Hard, right? With Is Die Hard a <laughs> Christmas is, movie? There is no debate about Die Hard. It is a Christmas movie. If it's set during Christmas, <laughs> it's Christmas, right? So if it's set in a summer camp, then is it a summer camp movie? Exactly. And I think that Sleepaway Camp is, uh, you know, somebody was like, what? Friday the 13th isn't a summer camp movie. I'll make a real summer camp slasher movie and then actually set it during <laughs> summer camp. It's an obvi- obviously a react. First of all, it is absolutely... It absolutely only exists because of Friday the 13th. I Let's think that, that someone watched Friday the 13th and said, you know what this movie is missing? Pedophilia and homophobia. Yeah. Let's throw some of that in and uh, make Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. Also, um, I think we need to go ahead and get this out of the way. We're going to spoil this movie because there's no way I can talk about this movie without spoiling it. But there's no way. <sighs> I, I have to. All right. Yes. There are going to be spoilers. This movie came out in 83, so yes. it's it's 36 years old. Yes. If you're someone who already enjoys horror movies, like whether or not you've seen Sleepaway Camp, you know the ending of Sleepaway that's, Camp. That's what the, I knew the ending of this movie before I watched it. Um, so I think that's, are we are we just going to go ahead and do this, dive into prior information, or do we have anything else first? Um, since we tend to forget about this until the very end, let's go ahead and talk about this on the front end. Um uh, Gargoyle Podcast is brought to you by Central Cinema and um, not Frightening Ass Film Fest. That's the one in Chattanooga and the <laughs> Knoxville Horror Film Fest. <laughs> I know my film fests. And you know your sponsors, apparently. <laughs> look, I'm also trying to look things up because I forgot to have this uh, ready at the very beginning. Um, but this upcoming Saturday, June 29th, they are doing a triple feature. Of uh, three movies that I do not have on here. Three movies directed by Jack Shoulder. Yes. Which are Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Yes. Um, and Alone in the Dark and The Hidden. 
Hey, here they are right there. Just as you're saying that, I, I find them on my phone. Um, yeah. And last time that we talked about this, I said there was a 92% chance that I was not going to be there unless like my wife said, hey, why don't we go watch horror movies for our anniversary? Because that's a thing that you enjoy. Um, that like 7% kind of happened. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's cool. It, it's exciting. <laughs> it's mostly because of uh, Kyle MacLachlan. Um, and and the film that he's in, which one is the one that he's in? Is the that hidden. the okay? So yeah, she saw the um, she saw one of the promo shots of Kyle McLaughlin. It was like, oh, the director's going to be there. We should go to that. I'm like, Ooh. all right, cool, <laughs> totally. We're probably not going to be able to uh, be there for all three films just because you know we have to have to get back to our kid and whatnot. But uh, but yeah. yeah, yeah, those darn kids, They're so needy, <laughs> all like wanting to be fed and crap. It's the worst. So <laughs> it it is not a one hundred percent guarantee. But yeah, it is looking like there's at least going to be uh, a gargoyle presence at the uh, the triple feature. That's awesome. You can come back and regale me with your tales of meeting Jack Shoulder because I most likely will not be able to attend. Or you can just like also go. I could, but I'm going to have, like, Ian. That's, like, a day that we've kind of set aside for to hang out with Ian because Owen's going to be gone with um So you hang out most in-laws. of the day, and then you come up and watch movies. Well, and then, like, I can introduce him to horror movies yes. and be like, here, this is Just this him, guy made this movie. Tell him about him how play, terrified you were. Have him play out in the lobby. <laughs> hey, William, can you babysit my children really quick while I go in here and watch these three movies <laughs> he would say uh sure i mean don't you want him to see nightmare on elm street too <laughs> just have him i'd be like hey he's <laughs> like <laughs> i could actually picture william saying exactly that it's like why would you leave him out here it's like just bring him in he'll have, he'll have a blast just out here is worse than in there um yes so uh yeah central cinema is is playing triple feature and that's that's gonna be gonna be awesome. I'm going to be there. Super excited. Yeah. Not sure which movies I'm gonna see yet. So sad. Yeah. Should see the hidden. I hear the hidden is fantastic. Well, I hear they're all great, but I mean, well, I know some people are a little wish like are not really no, don't really love Friday the third. I'm sorry. Those uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. <laughs> it's, see, it's not just me. We both have broken brains. Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two or Part Two. Nightmare on Elm Street Two Freddy's is, Revenge. Uh, better than the original you are the only human being on the planet who believes that look i'm convinced you're the only person who thinks that quite probably we'll get into this like when we actually work through the nightmare series because that's the thing that we're gonna do yeah we have to do that here's my issue with it and 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 this is not a knock against uh, nightmare on elm street this is not saying that it's a bad movie it's not said my only not my only. My biggest issue <laughs> with A Nightmare on Elm Street is it is a cat and mouse movie, which I absolutely love. Like, that is what makes that movie work. Except the cat isn't in the movie for, like, 95% of it. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Kind of like Jaws. Part of it. Mm, no. Because Jaws is about so much more than <laughs> Jaws, the shark. Is a, Jaws is a shark and human movie <laughs> rather than cat and mouse. <laughs> Jaws, okay. Jaws is water. about more than just the shark. And and like I get it. I get the fact that, you know, it's it's just the presence of Freddy Krueger and like that is what makes it so terrifying. And yeah, he's only on screen for like eight minutes throughout the entire film, and that has spawned like ten movies that he's been in. So like I get it. I, I absolutely understand the importance. But I, every single time that I watch Nightmare on Elm Street, I just keep feeling like, okay, I see a lot of the mouse. 
but where's the cat? And it's, I, mm. but in um, Nightmare 2, there is a ton of cat and mouse. And Freddy, like, you see him, like, torturing the kid the entire movie. And I don't know, I, I just feel like it gets at what was hinted at a lot better. Interesting. I don't know. I haven't seen the second one, so we'll we'll definitely have to get into this eventually. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about. Not what we're talking about. So not what we're talking about. I mean, aside from the fact that Central Cinema is uh, playing those three movies, and everyone should go. And we were um, talking about that. Yes, we were talking about that. And uh, it is 25 bucks if you do the triple feature. Otherwise, it is $10 a film. And you can purchase tickets or, you know, view showtimes and location at um, centralcinema865.com. So go there, buy some tickets. Come up and talk to me. I'll be the short beardy dude. You'll be the only one, I'm sure. <laughs> because no one no one that's gonna be there is gonna be a short beardy dude, probably wearing a horror shirt. That's uh not Central Cinema's main demographic at all. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> Sleepaway Camp. Have, have we mentioned how much we genuinely love Central Cinema? Central Cinema is the best. It really is. I need to go do. back so soon. Yeah, like this Saturday. Yes, this Saturday. All yes. right, you've convinced me. I'll just I'll just abandon my child, like uh-huh. uh, like Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood. Yeah, and I'll just be screaming through the lobby. I've abandoned my boy. Uh huh. All right, I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be that guy. If you hear anybody <laughs> imitating Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood, that's me. Uh, Poorly imitating <clears throat> him, I should say. Yes. Okay. Wow. Let's. Yeah. Let's. So, so not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is Sleepaway Camp, the 1983 classic. Question oh, I mark? think it's. I think it's. It's definitely one of those movies that if you're a horror fan, it's it's on the list that you got to see. So I think that you can, if you want to put air quotes around or whatever, you can say it's a classic. But I think it's kind of indisputable that this is a classic horror film. It it's classic, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. But we're gonna get into that. Um, all right, so we're going to do the same thing that we do on all of our reviews where we talk about prior information, how that shaped our expectations, what we thought of the movie from a technical standpoint, what we thought of it from an emotional standpoint, how rewatchable is it, and who we recommend the movie for. So prior information, what you got? So my prior information is that I have not I had not seen Sleepaway Camp prior to this past week, um, and I knew the ending already. However... Knowing the end of this movie, which I feel like at this point it's such a it's such an iconic, maybe iconic. I don't know. It's such a well known ending. It's such a shocking twist ending that pretty much everybody kind of knows it. Like <laughs> it's a twist if you're if you're a a horror fan. But knowing what happens at the end of this movie does not sufficiently prepare you for what happens at the end of this movie. So like I'm actually kind of glad that I knew what happened at the end. Because I think if I was not already anticipating what was going to happen, it would have been it would have disturbed me even more than it did. Yeah, hearing about it and seeing it are two very different so things. So different. And we're going to get into this in the technical, but um, I don't know why it was a surprise. Well, like I, they they are not subtle about dropping hints to the end of the movie. I think. So. Well, I think it just depends on when you saw it. Like if you saw it in 1983, it's such a transgressive <clears throat> ending. But what's what's weird about it though is that ultimately what happens is not what's shocking about it. It's the way that the information is presented to you. Like, well, I mean, we'll have to get into it here in a minute. But like, <laughs> like, it's 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 a weird thing where it's like if you know what happens at the end. Like for me, I was sitting here thinking like I don't feel like that would really be that shocking, especially in 2019. But I've seen so many people talk about how disturbing the ending is that there's got to be something else going on here that makes it so 
so shocking and there definitely is so i i think part of what makes it so shocking isn't necessarily just how visually assaulting it is um but as you're watching the movie even if you know you kind of forget and like you you're just getting to know these characters and you get to know angela throughout the course of the movie Mm -hmm. so that when you get to the end and you're like Oh, right. This thing that I'm about to see, I'm about to see it. But then when it happens, you're like, whoa, that, but huh. And and so I think that it's more about just like getting to know the character throughout the movie and then being shocked that this character did spoilers. We're going to get into so many spoilers. I also think the whodunit aspect of this movie is super awful. Like it's so clear who the killer is the entire movie. I think, I mean, they, they try to throw some red herrings in there and they, they do the thing where they, uh, they change the hands like it's not this the actress's hands spoiler alert again <laughs> because it's some dude's hands like it's some a dude dude's in hands, his 40s which, obviously which is designed to throw you off and also kind of uh works as foreshadowing um so anyway <laughs> uh that's my prior information i also just to throw this out there i watched the last drive-in version of this uh on shutter with joe bob so it had the like interruptions where he's talking about the movie, but also not really. I think this is like the third or fourth on last drive. And it's like the third time he had done it before. So he wasn't even really digging into the movie. He was just like ranting about the North Carolina, like transgender <laughs> bathroom bill, which was pretty funny. Yeah, not, not the, nearly as insensitive as I expected it to be. Like the bit at the but, very beginning is probably the most that he gets into it. Um, yeah. The rest of it's just kind of like a few questions here and there. And then Felissa Rose was there yeah. for it. Who plays Angela. And he basically just asking her about how many of the dudes she had a crush on, which I was just kind of like, this is like, well, so it's I, because like at one point she was talking about how she actually uh, was dating the actor who plays her cousin, Ricky. Yeah. Which, and then like, like just this, this huge long love story that took place over the span of like a week. Yeah. And then like some of the other people that she dated. And so he was more just, you know, like playing. It was, I mean, they're joke, obviously but, good friends and it was it was just fun ribbing but i was like i was like this isn't what i'm here for i'm here for like (laughs) the insightful like film history which you get a little bit of but not as much as i was hoping for anyway it's still worth watching definitely um always worth watching joe bob if you are searching for it it's part of the uh last drive-in marathon the original marathon that they did back in like this time last year yeah so if you just search shutter for sleepaway camp you're not going to find it like Mm -hmm. you have to actually go to the uh, last drive-in um, series and then do the last drive in marathon. Mm. And then it's like the second or third one. Right. So, yeah. So my <clears> expectations <throat> were really just that I, I figured this would basically be like a carbon copy of Friday the 13th that you would get some, uh, campers sleeping around and then, um, which you being do. isolated and then being murdered, which, which they are, you, you get that, you get that stuff in there. What I was not prepared for was how, much darker and nastier this movie is than Friday the 13th. It is so mean spirited, the film. And it's also, it feels kind of more genuine in a certain way because you actually have real kids in this movie. Like they're like, you actually have kids. You actually have kids. Actually is a summer kid. Yes. Yes. Fair point. Um, But they're like actually 13 and 14 years old. Like these are actual young kids and they, the way that they speak feels very genuine. Like even though the acting isn't (laughs) great, it's very clear that these are just actual kids going to an actual summer camp that is, or I'm sorry, filming a movie that is masquerading as a summer camp. So it feels like an actual experience for them. And my favorite thing though, is the way they swear. Like it feels (laughs) so real. Like what it is like as a kid to, to just like, be away from your parents and just be like 
free to scream obscenities, especially sure. because the summer camp is fucking lawless. <laughs> They, there, those, there are some laws. Those kids get away with everything, even when camp counselors are around. It is hilarious. I mean, um, some of the camp counselors are the worst ones. They really are. That's true. Yeah. God. Meg. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally about to say exactly that. Um, yeah. So my prior information is um, a, a bit more detailed than that. I had seen Sleepaway Camp a, a few times. I don't remember how many times I've seen it, um, but definitely more than once. But similar to you, I knew the end of Sleepaway Camp before the first time that I saw it because I actually watched Sleepaway Camp 2 before Sleepaway Camp. Uh, I, I think because like at the time, Sleepaway Camp 2 was streaming somewhere and That's Sleepaway weird. Camp 1 wasn't. I've never seen any of the sequels. Sleepaway, oh my god. Okay, so Sleepaway Camp 2, at some point we also need to cover that one, because Sleepaway Camp is very obviously ripping off Friday the 13th. Sleepaway Camp 2 says, you know what, screw it, let's just have fun. And so, like, they are just having fun, very blatantly ripping them off. Mm -hmm. Like, even the cover has... um, has the main character with uh, Jason's mask and Freddy's glove in her backpack. Yeah, and what well, so, Boy Camp 2 happened more in like the late 80s, which was kind of after <clears throat> horror movies became a lot more self-aware after like we hit that midway point in most of those series with like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th where they're finally like, all right, we're kind of running out of ideas, so let's just uh, start recycling let's just start things. making fun of ourselves and yeah. like have these characters exist in a world where they have actually seen horror movies rather than be like, what? I don't know what to do. There's a killer in the woods. It's like, get the fuck out of there, guys. Seriously. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nathan. I'm giving you giving you some bleeps. It's it's okay. Um, yeah. So Sleepaway Camp Two. It's it's a lot of fun. Sleepaway Camp Three. I never actually finished because it just felt so. I I need to go back and revisit it because when I first saw it, it just felt exhausting because it was like just you know rehashing the exact same jokes and the exact same beats, and it was just a cash grab. Um, I but but maybe maybe it aged better than than when I initially saw it. I doubt it. Do the sequels whatever. address the ending at all? Um, like Sleepaway Camp 2 does. There, There's an opening scene uh, with kids around a campfire and that addresses the ending of Sleepaway Camp. Okay. So Just it curious. does, but so they also... Do, they do the Friday the 13th thing where like in the sequels they start off with uh, like flashbacks kind yeah. of. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and so like that's why I knew the ending of Sleepaway Camp before I saw it. So it did take away some of the surprise, but yeah, same thing. Like just knowing what happened and seeing what happened is like, whoa, that's God. That, that is a different experience. It is. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I had seen, seen Sleepaway Camp a few times and I knew exactly what I was getting into a movie that I have a lot of respect for. And I think that it is a very good summer camp horror, not quite parody, but you know, rip off. But also, it's not good. Like, I, I, I love this movie. I really do. I, <laughs> there is a place in my heart that whenever someone says Sleepaway Camp, it's like, oh, hell yeah, I am down to watch Sleepaway Camp. Mm-hmm. And also, there are so many things bad about this movie. Yeah, like to... So many things. On the technical side of this movie, really, like, what's <clears throat> weird about it is that so much of it is really bad. <laughs> All of it. So much of it is really bad. It's almost to, like, blood rage levels of badness to where it's bad but enjoyable not quite that campy 
Blood Rage is an amazing movie. I agree. We talked about this. We did talk about this. There is technical proficiency going on with Blood Rage. Sure. Look, you didn't see... I may have agreed with you just to humor you, but sure. You did not watch Scalpel and uh, Last House on Massacre Streets, a.k.a. The Bride, a.k.a. I forget the other one. Didn't they all have like four (laughs) titles? Three titles. From that same director. I love it. But no, Blood Rage is amazing. It is. I highly recommend it. Sleepaway but, Camp. Well, to to put this into perspective, the reason why I say that is because on Nightmare on Film Street, they literally <laughs> did Blood Rage versus Sleepaway Camp. Oh, Blood so, Rage. There, there is no question about that. They better have agreed. It's been a while. Uh, No, yeah, they, they both said Blood Rage. Okay, good. They both gave like, I'm pretty sure, uh, what's his face? John gave it a four out of four. Good. In terms of enjoyment. Good. Anyway, um, so Sleepaway Camp. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy because so much of it is really not very good. And that, again, the ending is like this weird mix of really bad filmmaking with some really good craftsmanship that makes it so effective. That's not just the end. That is the entire, That's the entire movie. movie. Exactly. Because <laughs> let's, I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to start with the kills because okay. that's what we got to start with. So the kills in this movie are really great and very creative for the most part. Sure. Um, you start, spoilers, you start with some dude getting run over by a boat. Yes. Um, you have boiling, a lot of boiling. With some great bladder effects of like the flesh that's been, oh, he's like got these boils literally like on his face. It's so awful, but also like he totally deserves it because that chef. Oh, we're we're going we're gonna to oh come back God. to that. You have death by bees. Okay. Okay. Let's stop here for a second. Because first of all, that is the most ridiculous kill in this movie. Bar none. It is insane that that happens. I don't know if that's the most ridiculous one because we don't know whether or not that character had an allergic reaction. He could have been allergic. That is a believable kill. The curling iron is the most ridiculous kill. The curling iron's terrible. I hate that kill. It's stupid. And so, <laughs> like, that's the only, that one is, is just gross. Um, and also, why the why is she curling her hair in the middle of the night? She's going to go to sleep soon. That's, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. They're just like, oh, yeah, we're just going to have her curling her hair because whatever. Yeah. And she has, she never has her hair curled at any other point in the movie. She has the that amazing side ponytail Judy does. Yeah. Which... Just have to say, if you um, if you go to the GIF <coughs> keyboard on your iPhone and uh, type in Sleepaway Camp, you get the most amazing GIF of all time of Judy that uh, says, uh, Judy's side ponytail died for our sins. <laughs> uh, please go look that up because it is amazing and I'm going to use it all the time from now on. Um, okay, but I'm going to go back to the bees. Yes. So there's clearly back a deleted the scene. Back, back to the B6, sure. Back to the B movie basics. Okay, I'm, I'm okay, going to stop. Sorry. That's terrible. <laughs> um, okay, so there's clearly a deleted scene where dude just rubbed honey all over his face or something. I don't know. Maybe like honey. Maybe he's. it's like an exfoliating cream or something that he uses because there's no other reason why all of those bees would attack his face like that. I mean, I... And okay, Let's 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 let, okay, get so let's this out of the way. Let's first. use some summer camp logic. If you ever went to summer camp, kids are really bad at taking showers. True. Like, they jump in the shower for about five seconds because the counselor tells them they have to. But they never actually wash anything. Yes. So all of the food that he's been eating over that week, you know, that there's some residue on his face. Sure. And he's he's getting it out of his stomach at the at that moment. He, it's going through his his bowels sure. because he is pooping. Yes. Which is just so funny. 
So, like, I, you know, it's not the most unbelievable thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess. It also, I mean, it's a slasher movie. It's fine. The most unbelievable thing is, okay, first of all, he can't get out of the stall because there's been like a a rod slipped through the two stall doors, so he can't push it open. Why doesn't he just drop to the floor and crawl out from underneath the stall? Why doesn't he climb on the toilet and jump out the screen window? That too. There are so many ways that he could have escaped, but instead he just decides to keep bashing the door over and over until he breaks the broom. Anyway, what I want to talk... I have to mention this too. All of the kills are shown... Like you don't actually see any of the murders happening. You only see the aftermath. I don't think there's one. No, there's one murder that you see happening for sure. Yeah. One of them you actually do. And then the boat accident at the beginning you see happening. Yeah. Mostly. The one, the one that you see is actually pretty great with like the shower kill where the knife goes through the, but even then you don't actually see the knife through the person. Right. It's so weird sometimes talking about horror movies. Like you see the knife through the side of the shower. Mm-hmm. And you see the person up against the shower, but yeah. you don't actually see that one. Right. The only kill that you like directly see. It's like see, the softcore porn version of being, somebody being murdered. You don't actually see any penetration. Well, no, actually <laughs> you do. <laughs> because <sorry>. the <laughs> the only like direct kill that you actually see physically happen um, is also ripping off of Friday the 13th with an arrow through the throat. Oh, my God. How did they do that, by the way? That arrow through the throat, it's so weird, but also really well done at the same time. Like, it feels like there should have been an extra sound effect in there to make it feel impactful because he's just standing there and then the arrow is in his throat. And it's so weird. Also, the but killer, it still looks really good. I, I am convinced that the killer uh, spoilers. We're so into spoilers. If you've not seen um, the sleepaway camp, you have been plenty warned. Angela, uh, I am convinced that Angela threw that arrow because you see her twirling the arrow. You do not see a bow in her hands. No, no, she has a bow, but it's not. I don't think so. I'm pretty I sure don't she think has she a bow. Has a bow. I think she just straight up threw it. Well, I like that better, though. That sounds amazing. <laughs> just just javelined it right into his throat. That sounds awesome. Um, also, spoilers for other movies. So if you've not seen Friday the 13th, it's understandable, but also we're about to spoil it. Uh, one of the many, many, many things that Sleepaway Camp has in common slash ripping off of Friday the 13th mm-hmm. is, oh, the killer is a dude. Wait, no, it's a woman. Like there's that gender swap of who the killer actually is yeah. the entire time. Mm-hmm. There, it, just so many things that this movie rips off. That's very true. It is It is definitely a rip. I mean, like it is one of the, between like 82, 83, 84, there were like at least 30 different Friday the 13th ripoffs every single year i mean because of how cheap friday the 13th was and how huge of a hit it was and sleepaway camp too was also a huge hit like i think the budget was like three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it made 10 or 11 million on that so here's one of the things that i want to talk about we there's so many things that i want to talk about with the technical we are so scattered sleepaway camp even though it is absolutely ripping off friday the 13th and even though like it's not it, it's not as widely known as as other movies. It's not as widely known as Friday the 13th. And, like, there are plenty of people who love horror movies who have never seen it. But what's so weird about it is, like, when you think of a camp slasher, like, Sleepaway Camp is the shorthand for a camp slasher movie. Yeah. You know? Like, growing up, you never heard, oh, Camp Crystal Lake as a shorthand for, uh, like, oh, there's going to be a camp slasher movie. 
just like, oh, going to sleepaway camp. Just, oh, no, everyone's going to die. And, and maybe that's mm-hmm. just my experience. But long before I actually saw sleepaway camp, the, the, even though we're in the technical, this was actually part of the prior information. Long before I actually saw sleepaway camp, when I heard that title, like that was just the shorthand for a camp slasher film. And I, I don't know how that happened. I don't know if that is a universal thing that other people also experienced. But, like, I would hear sleepaway camp, just, okay, lots of people are going to have sex, and then lots of people are going to die. And I, I I don't know how that was my experience compared to Friday the 13th. I don't know. That's, that's interesting because it's always been Friday the 13th for me. <clears throat> also, do people have sex in this movie? I don't think they do. That's the other thing that's very interesting. Okay. Yes? So, the way that this movie it feels very different um, from a lot of other slasher movies. They, they do, but none of it happens on screen. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's no female nudity. There is male nudity though. <laughs> there's, which is there's very a interesting. A lot of dude, butt. um, there are a lot of scenes in this movie that are both very homophobic, like a kind of appropriately of the time. And t- because like there's the baseball scene, which, uh, where the one kid says like, fuck a man, asshole or something <laughs> like that. And it's like, Whoa, okay. That definitely doesn't, wouldn't fly in. <laughs> 2019 um but like it just feels very like that's how kids talked and it's like the kids are very homophobic but then they're also like shoving their asses in each other's faces like they do the they do the heavyweights thing (laughs) where they make the kid lay down and then he sits up and that kid's face actually hits that other kid's butt it's really weird and it is very obviously the kids that are doing that yeah no it is i think that was a body a butt double and if it was i think that would even be worse because that's a kid shoving his face in a grown man's ass which is way worse but so much worse super weird um oh so the the uh insult at the baseball game was eat a dog dick yeah, there's and, well, and then there's like eat shit and die, and he's like eat shit and live. Like the cussing in this movie is so funny, especially from Ricky when he gets mad. Oh my god! Like you have that one scene where Angela gets hit with the water balloon, which, by the way, these kids are having a water balloon fight on a roof. Yep, and they're standing like three feet away from each other, hitting each other with balloons. It's like the weirdest yep. water balloon fight you've ever seen in a movie. But they, she gets hit with a water balloon and Ricky just starts going crazy on these kids, just screaming at them, trying to fight everyone. And he's like a little shrimpy dude. It's just so funny. Can you honestly say, though, that you have never thrown a water balloon off of a roof? I don't think so. I've never had a water balloon fight on a roof, although I, it does sound I pretty awesome. I cannot say <laughs> that I have not thrown water balloons off of a roof <laughs> or an entire bucket of water off of a roof. All right. So <clears throat> we are all over the place. We are. Let, let, technically, this movie is bad. Like, I, I think, again, I genuinely enjoy this movie, but it is so bad. Okay, the, so let's talk about like let, the, let's talk about the plot holes. The plot holes, sure. You, you wanted to talk about something else. What do you want to talk? No, about? no, I was, I, I was, just, I don't know what the plot holes are. Okay, so, um, maybe not plot holes, but let's talk about. Uh, I guess loose ends is a better thing. Let's talk about the fact that at the beginning you have weird, creepy pedo cook and James Earl Jones's brother. No, it's his dad. Is it his dad? It's his dad. Yeah. His dad. All right. His dad just laughing off how creepy and pedo that guy is. Just, oh, ha ha ha. Everyone, they're too young. No, what you're thinking. Like, he's just so. How can you laugh at that, dude? Not cool. Yeah. And everybody just kind of like, it's like, whatever. And then you have the scene where they come out of the cellar and. And he's like, the kids are obviously terrified of what happened in there. 
And uh, the cook is like, oh, like, I don't know. He's like looking around like, oh, nothing to see here, guys. But then as he is putting his belt as he's, back on. He's putting his belt back on. Everybody else is just kind of like, yep, I guess there's nothing to see here. Definitely. We don't know anything about that guy being a pedophile. Let's yep. just pretend nothing happened. So the uh, so um, what's his name? Robert Earl Jones. He just disappears. You know, like he is there for a little bit. And I, I think they could have definitely done some interesting things. But then he just disappears. Like after the scene where the cook dies, that's it. You never see him again. Well, you have one more scene with the keep it quiet. And then then he just disappears. Never yeah. see him again. There is absolutely no resolution at the end of this movie. Um, yeah, the endings. I think the ending is set up. There's there's there are really only like two or three scenes where they set it up and it's very perfunctory. It's just like, yeah, we got to throw it in there. I don't know. It, I don't feel like they really put any effort into actually setting up the end and making any kind of statement with it other than just like, oh, yeah, this is surprising. Yeah. Out of nowhere, uh, Camp Counselor Meg, who such a terrible character, like she is purposely evil. So terrible in the sense that she is just, just evil, not like poorly acted, even though yeah. it was poorly acted. <coughs> just out of nowhere is like, oh, yeah, by the way, I have the hots for the camp director. Okay, that, that came it's from nowhere. It's so weird, yeah, because she's like 19, 18 or 19, <laughs> and he's like 65. He is like 800. He's so old. Okay, and here is a definite plot hole that we talked about a little bit before recording. Why is Mel trying to cover everything up? There are kids dying on his camp, and every time the police show up, like the police show up during that one and uh, he's like, uh, yeah, uh, I guess I'm just gonna have to call the boy's parents. And uh, yeah, there's really nothing else to see here, even though the other guy was hurt and then more kids start dying. And he's just sitting here like, OK, we just need to cover this up. And all the kids know that people are dying, but they're still there. And it's just so, so weird. Like, what I, is he hiding? I have two assumptions. First one is the excuse that's like kind of mentioned in the movie where he just doesn't want any bad publicity. He doesn't want the camp to shut down. Yeah, if you're Don't running, you think he's going to get worse publicity by trying to cover all this stuff yes. up? There's no way it's not going to come out. Yes, but if you're a camp director, you're probably not like rolling in the dough unless you are, um, uh, what's their names? Um, ben Stiller's dad from... <laughs> from camp heavyweights but even then like he spent all of his money he had to sell because you don't make money yeah uh so yeah like i i buy that on the front end with the first like two deaths of like you know what someone dying in camp that is bad publicity i do not want that happening but the chef the chef thing i think is makes sense because he's he doesn't actually die that we know of. He goes to the hospital. Oh, no, he he's obviously dying. Oh, he's like, going to die probably, yeah. but you never find out for sure if he's dead or not. Oh, yeah, because this movie is very bad at actually, you know, giving you resolution to anything that it starts. Um, but then when there's the scene. Okay, so before that, um, when the uh, when the cook comes out of the freezer and Mel is there and he's just like, yeah, right. Like, there's a very knowing tone in his voice of, yeah, you were about to rape a kid in there. Like, just, I it's mean. Like, eh, we're just going to keep that on the DL. Don't want any I, bad publicity. And I think that the reason why and why he didn't just call the cops later when more people started dying, I am pretty sure that uh, this is a very rapey camp. Seems and like I it. think that Mel was not only okay with it. But also a part of it. Because, again, you have the cook who is just, like, super creepy, openly pedo. Yeah. Not, like, just kind of saying it in the background. 
saying like one of his first lines is where i come from they're called what like fresh chicken something Some, weird like yeah super just, creepy just a line that doesn't even make sense where is that from in <laughs> what place it's because he's a chef he likes and, chicken but in, where where do you have to be from where chicken equals kid sex like i am so confused on where that is from to where his saying comes from but you have him openly saying that you have the assistant chef, uh, Robert Earl Jones, again, just laughing it off. You have the other, uh, like, I guess, sous chefs. I don't know. The helper janitor people standing around with no lines. Also just kind of being like, yep, that's OK. Uh, you have kids um, uh, skinny dipping and all the counselors obviously knew. Like there is so much going on in this camp. There is no way that Mel doesn't know about it. Oh, well, yeah. And there's that part where they're like about to throw Angela in the water and she's screaming for help. And Ricky goes to like stop them and Mel stops Ricky. And he's like, you got to stop. Stop trying to save her all the time or whatever. And it's like. No, it's because at that point he was pretty sure he that thinks Ricky he's the was killer. the killer. Yeah. He thinks Ricky's the killer. But still, it's like there's clearly a child who is being like verbally. I'm not ver- like physically harassed yeah. by a counselor for one one counselor on one camper and you're just gonna like yeah whatever let's just throw him in throw in the water go for it yeah it's just crazy and, but and then, then later he beats up a kid so that's cool he beats up a kid because we don't he, even know if ricky is alive no, <laughs> at the end of this breathe. movie we, Do you? okay yeah but he beat up the kid because <laughs> the young girl that he was about to have sex with got killed he was, like and, and you ruined my night and that and okay god so even when he goes to the dance and he's like hey have y'all seen meg he's no. just flaunt to get out be, in the open be, like she she was supposed to come over for dinner <laughs> like, dude what so he is so open about what is going on i am positive that this is a sex camp and oh that is why he does not want the cops showing up is because uh he doesn't want arrested for it Probably. And uh, there's something going on. <clears throat> I, I think that is what is going on. So I do want to talk briefly about <laughs> some good thing. Okay, actually, before I do that, I do have a few things to <clears throat> go on the quality side. First of all, this movie looks like a 70s sitcom, the way that it is shot and edited. Sure. They use like the uh, the iris in and out transition sometimes. And some of the music feels very much like it came from like Laverne and Shirley or something or <laughs> Brady Bunch or it's, it's really weird how much it feels like a sitcom at times. Um, and then the, but the one thing though that I think works really well are the makeup effects. They're really fantastic. I think like to the point where the scene with the bees, when you see the aftermath with the bees all over his face it made me think of the scene with the ants in Hereditary. Sure. It, to not spoil anything from Hereditary. It's really good. And then my favorite one, my, both my least favorite and my favorite kill in this movie is the one where the kid flips the canoe and he's like hiding out under it. And then like just a head pops up with long hair as if like, oh, okay, now we have no idea who the killer is. Wet hair. Wet hair. It's really long though. Wet hair. Okay, whatever. The the hair doesn't have to be that long. <clears throat> Excuse me. For wet hair to weigh it down. So it still could have been. It couldn't have been Ricky though. His hair was not that long. Um, I think so. It was, you know, like 80s poofy. So wet, wet, it would have been really weighed down. I mean, I guess. Sure. Um, but the scene is terrible because like he's just under the canoe and then she pops up in the canoe and he's like, what are you doing here? And then she just holds him underwater for a minute. But when they find his body, first of all, there's no way he could have been that like 
he could have like corroded that much and in such a short amount of time but the snake crawling out of his mouth is amazing so that's actually one of the other things that again i i do love this movie when we get to the emotional there's going to be it probably just as many things uh that i have to say but technically oh my god this movie's so bad one of the things that i love slash terrible uh how like quickly every physical body disintegrates there yeah so like the one kid that yeah just like what i was looking for uh yeah he drowned overnight and in the morning his face is half eaten which i kind of get there's things in the water that would eat a dead body i guess but still that quickly the bees like it looks like half of his face is melting off like he seriously looks like two-face um the the curling iron kill should not have killed her it would have definitely caused a whole lot of damage, but you shouldn't die the from that. Curling Iron Kill really bothers me because Judy's a bitch. Let's just get this yep. out of the way. But man, like <clears throat> raping someone with a curling iron is just a bit much. The way that it's framed is kind of interesting because you see like just the shadows on the wall and then you see her hands come up in like a very like Frankenstein kind of way with like the, you just see the shadow of her hands and it's like very dramatic, over dramatic, and it's Kind of cool, like, and also just to go off topic even further. <laughs> one thing sure. I really like about this movie, I think most of the kills are really disturbing because of the way people react to them. Like, especially in that first kill, where the um, woman who is skiing is screaming. Like, they hold on that for a really long time of her screaming, and that happens a lot. And like the chef too, when he's burning and he's screaming, they hold it so long on them screaming that it comes just short of parody. It's like just short of being ridiculous. And I think that's why it feels so effective and feels so disturbing. Yeah. Like, I don't think that it feels too much like parody because if you had a giant pot, which by the way, why the hell do they have that big of a pot to cook corn? Like I get a lot of corn, dude. That was a lot of corn. I get they're cooking for a lot of campers. However, that pot is comically large. Well, we also talked about like, how it was. It's actually probably physically impossible for a fourteen-year-old child to push because the pot was so tall and he had to stand up on a ladder, but it was still only up to his chin. Yeah. So it was like, how but did he get pushed up and over? That could have been framing with the lower camera shot, so it could. The framing was really funny. But but yeah, that Didn't is a really comically. It is a comically large pot. Like I expected Elmer Fudd to put Bugs Bunny <laughs> in there. It's just There's the the framing. Uh, I'm glad you point that out, too, because the framing in this movie in general is very interesting. Like for every time they show Angela, like, OK, let's take that cellar scene where the chef is like has her in the um in the or pantry food pantry where like it's a very low angle shot of him that makes him look very imposing. And then they do a high angle shot of Angela that makes her look very diminutive. But, like, every time they show a close-up of her with her, like, blank stare, there's always, like, a huge amount of negative space above her head, which I thought was really interesting. You don't see that in movies a lot. And I want it feels it's definitely intentional, I think, because it's every time you see her in frame, you have, like, a lot of just nothing above her head. And it makes her look really weirdly kind of creepy. And then they even do it kind of in the last shot of the movie when they do the close-ups. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> Um, anyway, I, just so, thought, I found that interesting. <clears throat> I don't really know what, unless they're just trying to make her seem very small. I, I think that I think that we're trying to make her just seem like excessively mousy. But yeah, isolated. so going back a little bit uh, to what we were talking about, like everyone, once they die, just decomposes so quickly. 
is there something just wrong with their body chemistry? Is there something in the water? Because bodies do not decompose that fast. It's like cabin fever where there is something in the water. Maybe. Causes your flesh to. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. It's interesting though, but man, those the aftermaths of these kills are pretty great for the most part. Um. Oh God, you you said something earlier that uh, reminded me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so is it about how you watch an entire baseball game? No, there's a, that scene with them playing baseball goes on forever. Although it's, that I kind of like does it, though, remind honestly. me that uh, this movie does hit a ton of summer camp tropes. So it does, you yeah. have the uh, the the sporting event, you have the nerdy kid who's being picked on the entire time. But unlike other movies uh, in Sleepaway Camp, when the nerdy kid gets the shaving cream to the face, not the butt to the face, he apparently was like relatively cool with that the shaving cream to the face he gets out his hunting knife and is running around the cabin yeah. saying, i am going to kill you that's that was not a joke he was going to kill him that was a red herring <clears throat> like i said there's there are lots of red herrings in this movie and they're all they don't they don't work because it's very clear who the killer is yes but yeah you have the geeky kid who's being picked on you have the camp counselor in the cutoff shorts uncomfortably small bro. cutoff shorts i don't say bro very often but bro <laughs> and the halter top that cutoff shirt <laughs> is it's a cutoff bra basically oh my god okay we have to talk about the outfits in this movie because they're amazing first of all the like head camp counselor who's the one who looks like he's 40 years old and he has like pecs that extend out like at least twice as long as his actual body uh-huh Oh my God, he's wearing a tank top that is also a v-neck with a collar, and those shorts that he is wearing are not shorts. Like, and they, they are and Daisy Dukes. They're Daisy Dukes, and even Joe Bob said something about how, like, he's like, yeah, I'm really, uh, I find it interesting that he had his penis surgically removed so he could fit into those shorts. <laughs> so, because they're so tiny, that they're main, basically briefs. That main counselor dude is like the stereotype of a closeted gay man who's like spending all of his time at the gym getting super buff but then wearing daisy dukes well did you notice that in the they're in the scenes on the beach and a lot of them he's in the background lifting weights <laughs> I did not <laughs> yeah it's awesome he's just like hanging out in the background oh my god it's so funny <clears throat> Uh, uh yeah. you, you have the evil camp across the lake but nice little twist where the evil camp across the lake is just the camp um yeah, this movie does hit all of like the summer camp notes, like take out the weird, creepy pedophile and take out the killing. And yeah, this could be a lighthearted summer camp comedy. Uh, no. Almost. It would be like a, uh, a rated R. It would be, be a, a hard rated R. R summer camp movie that's trying to get at the uh, the bullying that goes on at summer camp because ultimately I think that's kind of what the movie is about. It's about like the ice, like it's. It, I mean, it's about kids just being bullies, and you have some awful bullies in this movie. Like it is rough, dude. Some yeah. of the stuff that they're saying, especially to Angela. So it's it's crazy. That to me is like, <laughs> thank you, unintentional segue. Uh, that to me do. is where this movie works, and that is part of why I love this movie. Is you know, like with any horror movie, we've talked about this plenty. It's not the monster itself. It's what the monster represents. And for a like a horror movie to be a good horror, it's not just throwing some tits and blood. Like, how is it actually getting at real fears? Mm. And I, I like the fact that this movie kind of takes a twist on that in the sense that all of the people who die 
in Angela's mind had it coming. Yeah. Like there is a very clear reasoning for why she killed the people that she killed. Yeah. They're Which is not, why it's so obvious that she's the killer because it's always right. like right after well, they did something it, to it her. It could have been Ricky. Like, uh, I mean, it, it could have been. It is enough well, of a red herring, especially with his that uh, anger sh- problems. That and- shot, there's the one shot with um, <clears throat> when Judy is in the cabin and opens the door and you see Angela standing in the doorway and it's like backlit and it's really, it's actually a really good shot. Like as far as technically speaking, it's really good, but it's actually Ricky in a wig. Yeah. Like the actor that played Ricky, um, he's in a wig in that scene. Uh, so like it's one where like in, when you look at it, you think it's Angela, but it also looks a little off, which uh, kind of plays into how that yep. last scene. <laughs> it's oh my god. Okay, yeah, we, so, we gotta get there. Eventually. So all of the people who die, quote, deserve it. End quote. And I say deserve it because obviously people do not deserve to die. Like okay. all of that caveat. We're, we're gonna get to that. Okay, we're gonna get there. Yes. So. All of the people who die, it is after they have just done something pretty terrible to Angela. Mm-hmm. And, you know, varying levels of terrible. I think that as the movie goes on, her tolerance um, gets lower and lower. Slash her, you know, uh, ability to kill is just increasing. So I think like at the very beginning, it's because the first dude that she kills is the one that almost raped her. Yes. And I think that that was what finally like just broke her. And I think after that, because I, I think that her entire life she had been so diminutive and so controlled and just not able to express who she really was. Mm-hmm. And I think that so much about her was, again, just just put in a box and not able to come out. Yes. And so then when she finally takes revenge on the cook and it's like, oh, Oh, that felt good. Like, I Mm -hmm. think that with each successive person, it was they also deserve it because I'm not going to stand for this anymore. And and I think that I don't think that she was a killer before camp. No, I don't. And I think that had she not gone to camp, she wouldn't have been a killer. Mm. I don't I don't think she would have been. I don't know. It depends on how her life turned out. Okay, after. sure. There's a, there are many other things that could have happened that, unfortunately, camp is definitely the happened. catalyst. Though. But all of the things that happened to her, and it, God, it makes this movie so relevant. They, um, there is just a lot of first off homophobia, which you don't fully know till well, the end of the movie. It's, it's interesting because it's ho- like the the characters are homophobic, but they're also like almost homoerotic. Like the like when the kids, yeah. the boys don't get, like the girls won't go skinny dipping in the boys and they're like, fine, we'll just go skinny dipping with each other. And then they all strip naked and run out and jump in the water. And it's like, but then, sh- and yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But along with that, along with the maybe intentional, maybe unintentional homophobia, there is also a ton of just machismo and rape culture and yeah. sexual assault and just like uh, like the, the two kids at the dance who are going up to Angela and they're just being like, what's wrong with you? Like, why don't you put out? Why aren't you blah, 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 blah. And then like start getting angry at her because she won't even talk to them. Like at, at one point, I think they even say, maybe not these exact words, but something along the lines of you'd be uh, prettier if you smiled. Yeah. Like so much about this movie is still well, and even even with Paul, the only like oh, the boy who expresses I, interest. I was going to get back oh, to okay. Paul. <laughs> We're coming back to those two things. Paul I thought you were and going the to, other thing. The, to mention about how she murders those six year old kids. I, again, we're coming okay, back to okay. both of those. Uh, so like the horror of this. It, it it's a very interesting mix of the um, the scare and the horror comes from both sides of it in terms of 
just that fear of being bullied and how terrible yeah. it is and how that just completely destroys who you are as a person. And again, like keeping it in relevant times, um, you know, how many LGBTQ youth have committed suicide because of bullying. And it's very like you don't have to take that big of a uh, jump between what happens in the movie and taking what Angela does on an outward level mm. and putting it inward. And like that's what a lot of LGBTQ youth deal with. And rather than expressing their violence towards other people, they express it towards themselves. Mm. <clears throat> so like there's that fear. But then there's also just, you know, that unnamed killer um, out there in the woods somewhere. Which both of those things I think work very, very well. What makes this movie problematic is even though like none of that is intentional, none of that is intentional. And like I keep going back and forth on I think that this movie is like an LGBTQ cult icon where, you know, like they you can really relate to it. And it's very much like, yes, finally a transgender person who is standing up for themselves and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera except for the fact that this movie does not treat people who are actually uh, gay or other genders even remotely okay. Like it no, is, it, it doesn't is, at all. It, it, it's, it's okay. It's treated so like a disease. It is. It really is. And that's kind of where I want to lead to with when we talk about the ending. Yeah. Uh, cause there, there's other things that are going to relate to like how Angela became who she was, which again, not cool, not handled well. Mm -hmm. Transgender is not a disease. So, yeah, this movie, like, it's so complicated. But, again, the things that I think it does well are the you understand why the people are dying. Yeah. And, again, take that bullying and put it inwards. And it, it is still a very, very, very relevant movie. I agree. Except for killing the younglings. She yeah. goes full on Anakin Skywalker because it's... they threw sand at her. Okay. And, see, I didn't even pick up on this because when I was watching it, I was like, okay, she's just killing people who are mean to her. But then she teleports over to where the <laughs> where the six year olds are camping because the timeline doesn't make any sense unless it's nonlinear. Um, but she teleports over to wherever the six year olds are camping, murders them with a hatchet. Yep. After she had just murdered Meg, I think. Then she teleports back to the opposite side of camp. Yep. And then murders Judy, which is super weird. But yeah, like the, she kills those. She, she, she used she hacks uh, those kids up with a hatchet. She used Freddy's, or sorry, not Freddy. She used Jason's tunnels that he obviously oh, yes. uses to get back and forth <laughs> from the across. remake. Yeah, uh, <laughs> obviously, yes. She murders the younglings again. She goes full Anakin because they threw sand at her after she had been thrown in the water by Meg yeah, because that, Meg is an evil, evil. That's person. where the the toward the end of the movie it gets so mean-spirited that it almost loses me a little bit because you got the curling iron kill, you've got Mel beating crap out of a child, and you've got um, her hatcheting up these these little kids for no reason. And and then you but get... there is the reason. <sighs> but not It's not really. a sound reason. Uh, and, and again, like, I think that that is why... It, I, I think that It makes that me leads... feel sick to my stomach. Thing. Like, the end of this movie makes you feel sick to your stomach with how crazy, like things intensify in that last little bit and then you get to the last shot the what we'll get there the thing that makes me sick to my stomach with the i keep calling them younglings because how can you not the thing that makes me so sick is they go back to that shot like five or six yeah they times. do it quite a bit and it's 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 a long shot so i mean you don't see yeah. details or anything but they're uh you you see sleeping bags with uh like obviously torn up and a lot of blood so you don't actually see the bodies you see a little bit of one of the bodies on the left do you you do yeah you, okay so you don't see much of it 
but they keep showing it and like they'll show the reaction of the one counselor he's like oh my god and then they show it back he throws up and they go back to him and they go back it's like stop showing that like oh my god it was that was probably the most difficult scene for me to handle yeah because because it was just there you know like it felt too much like watching any of the aftermath of a school shooting it felt too well and the reasoning is so flimsy for me that it that that scene especially feels very like exploitation well of of like oh yeah we're just gonna add some more killing in there to shock you and it just doesn't work for me and like again there's no way like the way that it's presented and edited together in the movie it feels like she had to teleport to get there and then (laughs) sure i like said the justification is just not quite there it is a very loose justification but again i think that it's because she wasn't a killer until the cook and then with each person like just that rationalization of they deserved it they deserved it they deserved it they deserved Mm -hmm. it and so i think that the threshold of who deserved it kept getting lower and lower and lower yeah and i think that because she had just been so traumatized by meg throwing her in the water because i mean yeah that was a traumatic thing being back in the water yeah absolutely meg was yelling at her and i think that because she was so traumatized the fact that the kids were throwing sand at her she did, like she couldn't separate the fact that they were just being kids throwing sand. Right. And so they just got caught up in it. And But I think that in her mind, it was justified because they were part of the trauma that she had just experienced. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not a good excuse, but I think that that is – I, I think that that's her reasoning for yeah, it. Yeah. Because she doesn't that. just kill everyone, just almost everyone. Almost, yes. And then Paul. Paul is very – He's he's the – you think he, he's the only nice guy. Paul is the date rapist. He is not the straight so up rapist. Date rapey. He he he's one of those guys who expects the girl to put out. He's and one of those guys. He gets whiny about it. He is one of those guys that had he uh, not met his very <clears throat> deserved end at the end, um, would have run for Supreme Court. Exactly. Yeah. He he is so. <sighs> All right. Because well, the, his whole thing is like, okay, first of all, I, we, oh man, we didn't even talk about the whenever they're making out the scene when Angela goes into her sunken place. Yes, um, which is very weirdly art, artsy kind of artistic, mostly just because it's in a black box. I had not thought about how great of a pairing <laughs> Sleepaway Camp and Get Out would have been. Oh yeah, no, oh I my god, so. <laughs> it would have been great. Um, but so first of all. You see that Angela's dad is a gay man. Like, yes. you see him in bed with another man. With his sister's husband? Oh, I don't know. Is that I what that is? It, yeah, it was the guy at the very beginning. Like, the one at the beginning yeah, yeah, who he said, hey, so-and-so, they're on their way. Wait, no. Talking about no, 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 no. Because, that okay, that wasn't the husband. Because one of the kids said, Aunt Martha's coming? Uh, what about Ricky? No, Holy Ricky's with his dad. Holy shit, we have not talked about Aunt Martha. Yeah. Oh my god, why have we not talked about Aunt Martha? She's the best part of the movie. Because we're getting there. Uh, there's too much to get to. <laughs> there's a ton to talk about with this movie. Oh my god. Uh, no, you're right. The, uh, the guy at the very beginning was not Aunt Martha's husband because there is that line. But yeah, you get to see um, Angela and whatever her brother's name, Peter, I think. Peter, yeah. You get to see them watching their dad and the guy that was at the summer camp or the summer house with them, uh, which is, which it, th- is it weird that um, their dad took his kids on his gay love tryst? I mean, not necessarily. 
I don't think so. I mean, he's, if, they're just, if, they're, if they're just there being, as friends on a vacation, I'm sure. If it was being and, secretive, I feel like that's kind of weird. Well, here's the thing that is is that <clears throat> bugs me about this scene. Let me clarify. Okay. I think that it would be weird for any parents to take their kids on any sort of tryst. The weirdness of that was not the fact that he was gay. Well, it was. it's probably just that it's just a vacation they were taking in general and that it was, they were just, they were alone in their room and making love. I mean, yeah, I think that, I don't think it was necessarily a, a trip for them specifically just like kind of a family vacation sure but what bothers me about this scene is that they they treat that moment as if it is part of her trauma as if her seeing two men in bed together is part of the reason why she's so she is the way she is right that really (laughs) bugs me i mean on the one hand like it's it's kind of incredible that they shot that scene and that they have it in the movie for 1983 because that's extremely transgressive for the time and it's it represents both kind of like a milestone and also a setback for the film because it's like here are two men in bed together but we're going to show this as a reason why angela is traumatized and then you get the scene with her in the bed with peter as it spins around and it does like the um the dissolve between the two of them as if they're like I mean, obviously trying to point out that they're one in the same and you've got Peter pointing at Angela. It's not very subtle in See, retrospect. I, I actually view that a little bit differently. So I, I completely well, agree. I think, it's, I think it's Angela trying to figure out who she is. She doesn't know if she's Angela or Peter. So I completely agree that it is handled very problematically, especially because you have them laughing uh, at seeing two men in bed together. Um, but which I, I mean, mean that it's, it's that's I'm sure that was probably how it would have been. I mean, because again, it's such it would have been such a taboo thing. Sure, and like that's one of the things that makes this film so weird, and why I keep going back and forth on is this a LGBTQ cult classic or is this like oh I think way it too is, homophobic? But I think it's unintentional, right? <laughs> it's like I think the intention was let's laugh at this and give a reasoning for why Angela's so messed up. But there's also some of that, like that, that homoerotic undertone with all the boys. There's, there's something going on under the surface of this movie that is a little more intentional, but I also think that the director, Robert Hiltzik didn't put, didn't do his homework basically when he put this movie together and with those underlying themes, but the scene with Angela in bed, I know that it's supposed to be shot to where it's Angela and well, see that's the thing. It, was it supposed to be Angela and Ricky or Angela and Peter? Angela because and Peter. If it's supposed to be Angela and Peter, then you could either see it as like that is her split psyche and she is trying to figure out who she is, mm-hmm. or it is you're seeing actual Peter and actual Angela. Because I think at the very beginning when he says Angela won't get, uh, keep touching me or whatever, like when they're on the boat, yeah. I think that he actually does say Angela. I think that really is the sister's name. I yeah, think. it is. It is. And so like mm-hmm. when you're seeing them, I took that as you were seeing Peter and actual Angela. Like yes. when they're seeing their dad. Yes. And then when you see them in bed, that's still like Angela and Peter just – you know, like little kids playing house, trying mm-hmm. to figure out just who they are, because kids discover their sexuality way younger than people actually oh, okay. think yeah, that I they do. That. And I so think I think true. that that was just like them experiencing. This is a weird thing. Like I don't necessarily think that there was any sort of ancestral tones about it. I think that it was no, just yeah, it's kids just... playing a house. Absolutely. Now I, I didn't actually think about what you just said of that they are both supposed to be 
Angela and like her split psyche, which I totally think works. Yeah. And, well, if it's her sunken place and I say Angela, but technically it's Peter, right? right? Technically it's Peter because Peter has been <clears throat> forced to become Angela. Right. So I think that technically what this is, is Peter thinking back to that moment and trying to remember which who was I? Like, yeah. which person was I in this situation? Yeah. Which, again, it's, I everything's think blending is unintentional. Together. Like, I think oh, that, I think that scene, part of it's intentional. Man, I don't know. I think that the scene was presented as, ha-ha, gay people, ha-ha, two kids in bed, ha-ha, big twist I ending. Think the, I think showing the dad like that is just, is just trying to show her, um, well, her, yeah, her sexual confusion even further, I mean, and that it's part of why she is messed up, basically. I, I definitely think that. I definitely think that it was showing her sexual confusion and why she's quote-unquote messed up, but I don't know how intentional the director was being with showing, again, like that split. So I, I yeah. don't know. Well, it's, I think the re- only reason I think that for sure is because of the way that they there's a dissolve that's used. So, like, you can see as the bed is spinning, it'll dissolve the shot to where Peter and Angela are on both sides of the bed at the same time, where you see like, like as it's spinning, it's clear in the editing that like, it's very, they're like blurring together yeah. in a way. I think that's why in my mind that it feels very intentional. And and that totally makes sense, especially in light of what's going on in that scene mm-hmm. where Paul is making out with her and unbuttoning her shirt. And also how does Paul not feel Angela's boner? Like, because Angela doesn't have a boner, Nathan. Holy shit! <laughs> she, she does. Wow. Unless okay. Joe Bob was right about the fact that the boating accident caused some physical damage, like a thirteen-year-old boy experiencing sexual arousal. Well, Angela's probably not. Okay, here's here's where we have to. Okay, let's let's think about this. So, this is where I think the movie is unintentionally very very relevant because I think that ultimately what what you can get out of this movie is that this movie is a warning about what can happen when you force gender norms on people. Sure. Gender norms that they don't conf- confirm to. So in this movie it's basically Peter is a boy and his aunt has turned him into a girl. Because she already had a because boy. Because she already so had a boy. Do. No, that no, no. no, no, no. Oh my god. Aunt, aunt Martha <laughs> is, is Martha. in she, holy crap where that performance is just incredible. But, Incredibly bad, but so also I love it. If you flip it where it's like, okay, so in, in Sleepaway Camp, Peter is forced to be a girl. Yes. Think about that in terms of like people who are within the transgender community who are born a male or female, but they feel like they are the opposite sex. Yes. But society tells them, no, you have been born a male. You are a male. That is ultimately what this movie, what I'm getting out of this movie, why I think it works Again, unintentionally, because there's no way that this is what was in the mind of Hiltzik when he made this movie. No. But, like, it's you're forcing a gender norm onto somebody that they do not confirm to, and it causes them to feel isolated, and it causes them to lash out, and it causes them to it, to try it traumatizes them. Yeah. So I think if you flip it, then you can easily see how this how transgender community could hold this movie up and be like, yeah, well, maybe this isn't what they were trying to do. But I relate to this. I relate to what this person is going through. I completely agree. And again, like that's why I have a love awkward relationship because I don't even want to say love hate because I don't hate this movie. It's just like, man, some of these scenes are. It's a movie that so problematic. It's a movie that is an accidental good movie. Yes. And I think that is where I want to lean into the end of the movie unless you unless you have something else. 
Um, the the stuff that I was going to say about Paul might tie directly into what you were going into. Were you talking okay. about the ending ending scene, or were you still about to talk about Paul? Because I want to talk about oh, how no, terrible no, yeah, Paul. Paul is. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Because so, we need to talk about Paul. First off, our introduction to Paul is him talking to Ricky in front of Angela. So talking in front of his cousin about, hey, did you see how your ex-girlfriend grew boobs over the yes. summer? <laughs> so his introduction is uh, objectifying another girl. That is his introduction. Which, holy crap, it's so weird. They're like, they're always like talking about like, hey, you remember all those good times we had last summer? Like, what were these kids doing when they were 12 years old? What 12-year-olds do? I was an very unadventurous 12 year old then apparently because that is not something that was on my mind when i was 12 years old at summer camp but anyway moving on so uh not not at least at least not going that far sure mostly i'm in the holding hands stage at that point <laughs> they were maybe, holding maybe that's what they're talking about things Who with knows? Their hands. so they <laughs> so paul's introduction is objectifying another woman very similarly to how the cook's introduction is objectifying kids just yes. saying Paul is a little bit closer to the cook than um, what he seems on the surface. I mean, I think that's normal for a, a boy to objectify <clears throat> oh, women. Sure. sure. But normal and good are two very different things. True, true. And then you have the dance scene where the uh, the two like bad kids, apparently there's just like a bad cabin <clears throat> full of just the rotten people from camp, but whatever. So two of those guys uh, go up to Angela and they're harassing her and like it ends up starting a fight because they're just being so horrible to her. Ricky comes in, he's breaking it up and fighting all of them, whatever. The counselors watch it for a minute before they break it up because it's a lawless camp. Sure. Because, you know, it's the kids working things out. And then after uh, after Ricky and the other kids walk away, then Paul's like, hey, girl that was just traumatized by being hit on with unwanted advances I'm going to go talk to you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hit on you, but I'm not going to be a jerk about it. <clears throat> so, like, while the scene was still fresh, it was like, how you doing? You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, th- I think it starts off very I mean, because Angela really warms up to him and opens up to him. And I think it starts off where um, where Paul really is kind of the nice guy. I think that he is supposed to be presented that way. Yeah. But again, like looking at this in the big picture uh, scheme of things, I think that he was always that bad because mm-hmm. again, his instinct after seeing a girl uh, being not like physically assaulted, but after seeing a girl um, being picked on by two guys with unwanted advances, his go-to thought is I'm going to hit on her mm-hmm. maybe in a more gentle way, but his go-to thought is I'm going to hit on her. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And then um, he kisses her unexpectedly when he's walking her home and he's like, hey, come over here. I want to show you something. And he takes her behind the cabin and kisses her. Yeah. And then he's like, I hope that was okay." (laughs) And then he does it again. Yeah. Not waiting for her to say, yes, it was fine. He just does it again. (laughs) And so, like, yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that he does at the very beginning, it is uh, the kind of thing that you would expect from, oh, this is the guy that we're rooting for. He Hmm. was the one trying to protect her. He's the one that's, like, making sure it's okay that that he's trying to kiss her. Like, he's the one doing all the right things. He's the guy in the 80s, quote-unquote, comedies. Actually, not quote-unquote, because some of them are funny. He's the guy in the 80s comedies that you are rooting for, but is also still a sexual aggressor. Like, yes. he's the one. Like Peter Vinkman. Yes. And <laughs> basically, is, apparently, a lot of Bill Murray movies. <clears throat> he is like the meatballs. one <laughs> that, uh, when you're watching it, serves as the example of, see, when you really care about a girl, you just need to keep pursuing her because, you know, that's, that's yeah. how you really show. Like, 
he is the result of the, those other the movies. only thing is that for most of it angela is okay with it clearly she's she, she is, is attracted to him as well she talks to him that's how she opens up but then once he cheats on her by kissing judy he keeps pursuing her and he cheats on her because because she wouldn't put out because when he tried to unbutton her blouse she ran away. And she got mad, yeah. And he got, so because she wouldn't put out, he got upset and went with some other girl, the girl that at the very beginning of the movie, he was objectifying, talking about her large breasts. Yes. So, like, again, there is a pretty consistent pattern of Paul is terrible. True. He just knows how to be the nice guy terrible rather than, like, the horrible terrible. Exactly, yeah. And so uh, when he gets his comeuppance... You might think, oh, no, Paul, he didn't deserve it. No, he totally did. Yeah, because at least the other guys being jerks were very blatantly jerks. And, you know, like when you see jerks in the real world, real world, it's very easy to be like, oh, that guy's a dick. Don't talk to him. But then, like, when there's the nice guy, it's like, that dude is super date rapey. It's like, no, no, he's just blots like no yeah no that is very clear indicators well and all that he wants is in your pants but like he's gonna try to be nice about it and then he's gonna be an ass when you don't put out yeah that is paul paul what's weird about it though what's weird is that typically in a movie like this they're like 17 18 year old kids but he's 14 yep it's so ah man it's so it's so strange and sad that like you you just know that if 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 he were to grow up he would probably become that guy who yeah, I'm going to be nice to you, but then when you don't give me what I deserve, then that's when I just take it for myself. He's he because would, he's sitting when he's apologizing to her, he's like, "Just forgive me, okay?" Like he's still being like very forceful, like yeah. you need to forgive me because I'm sorry. He is what the is guy your problem? that would grow up to have very detailed calendars. He he would have so many. He's probably <laughs> that's probably what he does in his bunk every night as he goes in. He's like, "All right, got to fill my calendar for today." Rejected by Angela, kiss Judy, worked out. <laughs> So the sixer. <laughs> oh man, I'm trying to think of some of the. What are the nicknames of his friends? Squee, I think. Squee. Was one of them. <laughs> okay, Squee. Okay, anyway. Not what we're so, talking about. Then the ending happens. <laughs> yes. Finally, I get to talk about the ending because yes. here's the thing, Nathan. If I could, I would do a whole second podcast to talk about the end of this movie. I mean, we could do that. <laughs> we could do that. It, it would. I th- I feel like it would be a very anticlimactic uh, second podcast. I could talk about the end of this movie for a very long time because I cannot stop thinking about it. Okay, so here's the thing. <clears throat> so I knew the end of the movie, and basically what I knew about it was that the big reveal at the end is that Angela is a boy. Yes. That's really about all that I knew. So I was like, why is that so shocking? Can, can I just say this really quickly? Yes. And this is something that Joe Bob pointed out, but it's also hilarious. You see Angela's penis. Yes. And then you have a camp counselor say, oh, my God. She's, she's a, boy. a boy. As if you, it wasn't obvious already. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, the, it's the, the buff dude, I think, right? It is yet another example of the technical imperficiency of this movie. Yes. Of being told rather than shown. Which I've got. Okay. While you're being shown. Yes, exactly. Okay, so this final shot. Yes. First of all, I just need to point out the reason why this shot is shocking has pretty much nothing to do with the reason why it was supposed to be shocking. Like, it's very clear that when the script was being written, or let's say when when Hiltzik was pitching this movie to his uh, room full of, like, old white men investors, he's like, okay, 
So then in the end. <laughs> Think about how much naked boy you're going to see. Angela turns around and she's got a dick. And then all of the guys <laughs> gasp in horror and say, here's $350,000. That's the most terrifying thing I've ever heard. Yes. It's very clear that that from a script level is what the intention was at the end. Yes, because how could a girl ever be a boy? Because, oh my God, that's horrifying. But, okay, sarcastically horrifying. Because this movie is problematic. So, but that's not why the ending is so disturbing. (laughs) Is is it the weird turtle sex sound that Angela does? Yes. The ending is so disturbing because it is this perfectly, like, serendipitous kind of alchemy between really bad filmmaking and really good craftsmanship. So the first thing that is okay, let's let's just let's break down how I watch this shot because I have to. So you get to the last scene and it does like a kind of sort of close up on Angela's face. And the mask that they use is really really good. Yeah. Because I was looking at the face and I was like, "Okay, that's that's Angela." Like I it was not a question in my mind that that was her face. But like the longer you look at it, and, and I have to admit, like, this whole process of my going through my head happened over the course of maybe three seconds, because after about three seconds, I looked away from the screen and sure. watched out of the corner of my eye because it's so fucking unsettling. Sure. So I'm looking at this face, and I'm like, okay, that's Angela. But then you start to see the body, and the body is not Angela's body. So then I kind of look back at the face for a second, and you notice that the there's something about that mouth that is just slightly too open. Like, I think that's what it is. It's, it's, it's a little too open to be real. This, but it like, it really, it really is. looks like, and part, I mean, part of it I think is because it's shot in very low lighting. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell. You don't even really know what you're seeing for, for about a second or two. Cause your brain is like, I think the, the, what the magic of this ending is it causes your brain to short circuit. It's like the mask hits in the uncanny Valley in this perfect way where it's like, you kind of think it's real at first, but then you realize it's not real. But then it's but painting, like it's like, made really from her face. Like that really is her mouth open that wide. Every, well, and it then wasn't extended. And the weird thing too is they the way it's edited too is they edit in a close up of her face of yeah. the real Angela. So like it kind of goes back and forth between this like long shot where you're dollying out to see her body, and um and the close up of her face. And as you're looking at it, there's just something that's so not right about it. And what makes it even more unsettling is the sound design with (laughs) that inhuman noise that is coming out of her mouth with her mouth that is wide open but not moving, which, first of all, I have to point out, anytime somebody holds their mouth open in like an O shape, it's just generally unsettling to me. Sure. Because like nobody ever needs to hold their mouth open like that for, I mean, unless you're yelling, which it just takes a second. Then you just have to, then you close your mouth. Or, or if someone else is throwing marshmallows and you're right. trying to catch them. Sure. But even then you close your mouth to catch the marshmallow. You don't hold it open. Not if a lot out. of them are being thrown. Okay, sure. Anyway. <laughs> so, I, okay. Like the end of this movie, as I'm watching it, I literally recoiled in horror because there's just something so profoundly wrong about it. I can't even, it's one of those things you just it's, have to be able to, you have to see it to understand. There is no way to sufficiently prepare yourself. I think it's because for what happens. The the body is different. Like, they a, didn't apparently, even try to make it look like Angela's body. No, like the body is just like so much bigger that it's just like that. That body is wrong. There's, there is nothing right about that body. It is. And a, apparently. According to Joe Bob and uh, what they were talking about during last drive in, 
Um, apparently they just like found some dude that yes. like people don't know. Like it, no one knows who the uh, the person playing the body at the end actually was. Yeah, it was like an NYU student. And think about how weird. Like they just found him and they're like, "Hey, we'll pay you some money if you come over here and strip naked and let us film you." Like, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure, I'll do that. Hey, just do let you, me get drunk first. Do you want to put on a mask and show your wiener? Hold, okay, hold on. Wait. Let me put down my gavel. It's like, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> I'm not going to stop making that joke. Oh my god! Okay, so but yeah, like it's just too easy of a joke. He's just I'm like, sorry. how much are you going to pay me? Okay, yeah, they probably paid him in alcohol because they said he had to get drunk before he was even willing to do the scene. Like they probably traumatized this kid in, but he probably became a killer because of what happened at the what they put him through at the end of this movie. But so yeah, so the shot itself is really shitty. Let's 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 just get this out of the way. It's really poorly lit. It's clear that they just didn't really put any effort into making it look like Angela. But that is why it works in a yeah. way. Like they're just like it's so obviously not anything like what you've seen before. It's and and, and again like the penis that is there has not like is really like by the time you see the penis, by the time your eyes pan down to see it, it's like I'm already thoroughly like horrified by what I've seen already that that doesn't even really register at first for yeah. me. Like I always thought that it was just a prosthetic. Like it didn't even register as a real penis to me. And yes, I think that part of it is because of the noise. And earlier I made the joke and, and about uh, just turtle sex. Like if you've ever heard a turtle have sex because it's hilarious, especially the little turtle trying to hump a, a, um, a croc shoe. It's so <laughs> funny. Have you seen that video? I have not. Oh no. my God. But that sounds hilarious. <laughs> We're pulling up YouTube when we stop recording. Uh, if you take Do the I want sound, to see this though? it's hilarious. Okay. If you take the sound of you a turtle me. trying to have sex and then like slow it down to where it, it gets a deeper sound, that is exactly what she sounds. But that doesn't like. sound scary. Okay. It, but it's it's horrifying. I don't. Uh-huh. I can't even describe. It's like this droning sound that gets uh-huh. under your skin and in your ears, and and it just invades your soul. Uh huh. And the the other thing that's really strange about it is the the person that Angela is, or whatever this NYU student is not moving his body either. He's standing like very still. The, just the whole the expression on the face and the body, like everything about it, nothing fits together right, and that makes it so. Also, I can't even describe it. The fact that she's holding Paul's head. That also makes it disturbing. I honestly don't didn't even notice that Paul's head was in the shot. To be perfectly honest with you, because like I said, I looked away after about a second. Because and I and I have to make this clear. I I was anticipating the ending of the entire movie. I was stealing myself. Sure. And I I kept thinking I was like, there's no way this is going to be as disturbing <clears throat> as as people say. And then it happens, and it's like, oh my god, what am I watching? Yep. It is such a just. WTF moment so that way you don't have to beep <laughs> that it's, I, I still it probably. has to be seen to be believed it truly does and then to make matters worse they freeze frame on her face yep and then put like a weird green green uh, filter over it for some reason and then literally her face is there for the entire credits yep which I had to skip through with my hand over the screen because I, like I said, it's it disturbed me but so much then that you miss the song during the end credits because, like all of oh, the other Santa Coo movies great. that we've talked about, this has one a, has a theme song Angela's about theme. Angela. It's awesome, written specifically for this movie. Okay, so and to put this into perspective, here's the way I watched this movie. I was drunk. Everyone was asleep in the house except for me. I was laying in bed with an iPad. 
and headphones in. And I was taking notes on my phone as I was watching the movie. And uh, and I was ready for this scene. And they even like told you in the Joe Bob like last drive-in, they're like, all right, here it goes. This is it. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. <laughs> this is the scene. Here, like It's coming. And then it happens. And I'm still just like, so I can't even describe the feeling. I, I really can't even get into it. Apparently, I can't I, do a whole episode on this I because am, I'm positive that part of what made it so unsettling was the headphones. Oh yeah, like, it, it was. I was surrounded out by any that other noise, sound. and the only thing that you hear is Angela's post-murder O noise. Like, yeah, that's yeah. that's gonna be unsettling. It's um, it's. You, it is an indelible image. I will never forget that 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 scene. Even though, like I said, I didn't even watch the whole scene, but I will never forget the image you, of that. Like I could not go to sleep for at least another hour. I watched this movie at like around midnight, and I didn't go to bed till about one thirty in the morning because I could not sleep because I couldn't kept thinking about it. And that very rarely happens to me with horror movies. I'm like going to get you an inch of the shirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> just has her face on Well, and then I did send you, uh, I sent you the gif of her face at one point in a text message for some reason. And now I'm mad that I did that <laughs> because her face pops up every time I click on my gifts as like a recent one that I sent. Oh, my God. Like, and to segue that into rewatchability... I really want to rewatch this movie because I really liked it overall. And I think that, don't you, f- you're trying to pull this scene <laughs> up, aren't you? No, no. I was trying to pull up something else because. Um, Is it turtle sex? No, it's Brad from In the Mouth of Darkness. He did a uh, like a Facebook Live video with one of the other uh, In the Mouth of Darkness guys. And I'm, I am 90% sure that the other guy was wearing an Angela mask. Oh, my God. That's fucking horrifying. <laughs> It's terrible, dude. I was, I was going to pull that up and show that to you. That's so ter- terrifying. Okay, <laughs> so here's how rewatchable this movie is, unless you have more emotional things to say, other than Aunt Martha is the best and her acting is the greatest thing <clears throat> of all time. Aunt Martha, other than Judy's side ponytail. Aunt Martha is so like her acting is so comically melodramatically bad, but like that. It, it's so she, clearly a, it is. It, it's a choice she made and it's a very clear, deliberate choice. Yes. It is a very good encapsulation of why, like part of why this movie works, even though it's not good is because it is being done with so much heart and they're putting so much like genuine, like I want to do my best with this piece. And it's just like, Come on, nobody watches Aunt Martha's performance and thinks to themselves, yes, that is quality acting and she is going to go far. I totally disagree. But again, she puts so so much heart into it. And for me, you you mentioned earlier Blood Rage. To me, it reminded me a lot of the mom. The mom in Blood Blood Rage, Rage, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Where it's just like so melodramatically bad, but also I kind of love it. And it wasn't subtle at at all. That giant string that she has on her finger to remind herself of things. I have this string to remind me of. I don't even remember what it was. She allegedly is a doctor, but I think that she is supposed to be a psychologist. And I think that this movie is also not being kind to the psychologist. Well, it's very interesting because uh, Aunt Martha is very androgynous herself. You know, I thought like she like her, her gender seems kind of like she could be a person of indeterminate gender. Sure. To use the phrase from a series of unfortunate events like that's like she she feels very androgynous herself, which I I feel like might be be on purpose. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. 
this I, movie is uh so yeah we we uh blurred those lines between technical and emotion all over the place i emotionally i i, I still oh i thought we were already in the emotional side I'm no sorry. no that's that's what i mean like we've been blurring okay. those lines emotionally i still genuinely love this movie it is not good and there are plenty of things about this movie that are very 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 problematic but man the the it's, stuff that it unintentionally does well it just does so well and they put so much heart into actually playing it and even meg with being as evil and vile as she is and yelling at angela because she won't even respond to her and oh, like, she's so great God, again even with some of that unintentional um unintentional stuff where like she's encapsulating um women who are a part of rape culture who like don't see why it's a bad thing Mm -hmm. and the fact that she is getting so mad at angela for not even responding to her so she's having that exact same response of i'm trying to talk to you i'm trying to be nice i deserve this and i'm getting mad at you because you are not doing what i think that i deserve and so there's ah god there's so much about this movie that unintentionally still makes it so so relevant and it does yeah and part of why i love it and that's what it's 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 fascinating because of how problematic it is like how it's so clear that it was literally just designed to be to 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 shock you through transphobia and homophobia but then kind of because of that I like I like that like there I read a few articles like on gaily dreadful and stuff where they talk about representation in media specifically with this film and like how it's like we need people like Angela on film and it's weird because I feel like most people would come up away with a negative impression of of transgender people because that it, the movie says you should be scared of this person because of this because of her gender dysphoria yeah but at the same time like the way that that community has kind of taken the movie back in a way and said no like it's not perfect and this is like a really like we understand why it's negative but also like this is very relatable to our experience and then like this movie kind of empowers us in a way like it's i I like that about it like i love it when we can take something that's very problematic and turn it around and make it into something instructive yeah so part of the way that i watch this movie is as a rape prevenge movie not a rape revenge and they have to stop with the enunciation so the P doesn't get lost, but a rape prevenge where it's like, okay, in most rape revenge movies where there's the rape and then the rest of the movie, it is these horrible, vile people getting what they deserve because they did this horrible, horrible, horrible act that the movie spends way too long actually showing. This is like, okay, we're not actually going to show that. And a lot of the the deaths are going to happen before something actually happens, but it still has a lot of that same feeling. And, you know, like in rape revenge movies, the horror of that movie isn't the uh, the person going around killing the, the rapers. It is just that just uncomfortable sense of just like, oh, I feel sick watching this because this is something that actually happens, not, you know a woman going around and killing people afterwards, but just like just that same sense of just that to me is kind of the same sense that I get when Angela is being bullied. Just, this is so terrible. And man, can you imagine a kid going through this? And I already talked about some of that stuff Mm -hmm. and like, 
I don't think that a lot of people would watch this movie as a rape revenge film, but again, it does hit a lot of those same notes just mm. before it actually takes place. And I think that it carries Very that proactively same, yeah. <laughs> murdering them like, Oh, you're going to rape me. Nope. We'll stop but, it before it happens. But I think that it carries a lot of that same weight. Like yeah. rape revenge films are incredibly problematic and they're very exploitative. And why would you spend so long actually showing this? But at the same time, there's that there's that sense of empowerment. And, you know, especially uh, um, with movies, um, especially with movies like Revenge, where, you know, like uh, that, that that's such a core aspect of, yeah, bad things happen, but – Man, you're going to live vicariously through this person, mm-hmm. you know, giving the rapers their comeuppance. And and you get that same feeling when you watch uh, Sleepaway Camp. And again, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that that was intentional, but it's impossible to avoid that. Yeah. I mean, it's there. And I think that any uh, any reading into the film would be valid as long as you're – I mean, if it's – I think it's a valid reading of the film, definitely, even if it wasn't what the author or – director writer whatever you want to call it well we also uh like way over analyze movies true so most people watch this and be like oh man angela's a dude and like that's it (laughs) that's crazy (laughs) that is the extent of their analysis for us it's like okay let's talk about uh all of these other issues with the lgbt community and yeah so there's a ton of stuff that we do all right um so who do you recommend this movie for nope that's not what we do how rewatchable man i'm one of these days i'll remember our actual order of things how rewatchable is this film i think this movie is very rewatchable in the daylight surrounded by people preferably (laughs) with my back turned to watch their expression during that last scene sure uh i think that this movie is i think that it's very highly rewatchable on a number of levels i think that you can watch it just as a campy 80s slasher flick i think that you can watch it going a lot more in depth like we did i think that you can watch it as sort of that prevenge sort of movie uh i i think that you can watch it as here's why the 80s were problematic i think that you can watch it as a here's why this has turned into a cult classic not everyone is going to enjoy this, but I think that whether intentional or not, there is so much that can be gotten from this movie mm-hmm. that it has an incredibly high rewatchability factor. Um, oh, crap. One more thing before we get into who we actually recommend it for. <laughs> Since we had brought this up on the previous episodes of how each of the summer camp movies that we've been talking about were eight years apart from each other. Mm-hmm. This movie kind of broke out of that timeline for us, but... There is one saving grace in that it kind of didn't because the opening scene with the boat accident is eight years before uh, Angela goes to camp. So very unintentionally, this movie still fit in with that eight year timeline theme that we didn't mean to do. And then we're going to have to find a way to shoehorn eight years into our next movie, our final movie for summer camp. I'm sure that there will be a way. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Maybe it was eight years between the sequels. I don't know. We got this. Something. All right. So uh, who do you recommend the movie for? I recommend this movie for any kind of horror fan at all. Like, really? I mean, it really, like, I like, know that sounds that so often. Okay. But, <laughs> uh, okay. To... Let's, 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 let's take it back then. Let's recommend this movie specifically for fans of slasher movies, which again, feels like a very obvious recommendation, but it's also a movie that I feel like you kind of have to be a fan of slasher movies to appreciate because it is kind of bad and kind of campy. And it's kind of shocking in a way that I feel like people who are not already like into this kind of genre probably would not 
enjoy it at all. So like, I mean, it's, it's basically one of those movies that if you are a completist and you need to watch all slasher movies or horror movies, like you have to check off Sleepaway Camp at some point. I mean, that's yeah. really what I'm getting at. I mean, it's, it, it is definitely a very iconic <laughs> movie that, yes, I think that any fan of horror, this is something that whether or not you enjoy it, it's one that you should at least experience. Right. Now exactly. I will say that I think that like slasher purists, might not enjoy Sleepaway Camp because they might either feel like it's too derivative or like there's not actually enough slasher. Because like I think when if we you're talk- a slasher purist, there's no such thing as thinking that something <laughs> is derivative because all slasher movies okay, are basically yes. the same movie. I Okay, fine. Uh, I guess maybe what I meant with that was, um, or at least, you know, like it's not actually slashery enough. Like there's a lot of really, really gruesome kills that you don't actually see. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, people who really, really love slasher flicks are like, oh man, that was such like an interesting death scene that they just had. But a lot of these interesting death scenes happen off camera. I think that's how I, a lot of, like that's one thing that's interesting about slasher movies though, is I feel like most of the time in these movies, especially the ones in the eighties, you really are only seeing the aftermath in a lot of cases. Um, or, or like you're just, seeing the knife come down at them. Like right. The knife at and the it's camera. edited in such a way yeah. that it makes it seem much more violent than it actually is. So, I mean, I think it kind of fits the mold. It definitely, it's definitely an interesting little twist on the slasher formula. It doesn't really change it a whole, whole lot, but it does it enough to make it stand out. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just one of the, especially with the ending and everything, it's just one of those slasher movies that you just have to see. Um, yeah, I mean, you really, it's like, again, there's no way to prepare yourself for it. You just have to, just have to dive in and try it for yourself. Sure. Um, I, along with that, completely agree. I'm going to recommend this for people who like the theory of rape revenge movies, but like, just find it too difficult to watch because it can be very, uh, unsettling. But, you know, all all those things that I already talked about, I feel like this gets at a lot of those same themes, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of sort of like that, uh, you know, the vengeance horror kind of kind of style, but without actually seeing a woman so physically assaulted. Yes. I also recommend this movie for people who are about to leave for summer camp. Like if it is the day before <laughs> you're about to leave of all of the summer camp movies we have mentioned, you have to watch this one. This is the one you watch right before you leave for summer camp. Do you recommend it for parents about to send their kids to summer camp? Yes. All people, if you are about to have a, <laughs> like as a cautionary yourself, tale, exactly. <laughs> just all right, little John, no, you're about to go off to summer camp. Don't be a dick. I recommend you show this movie to your children. If you, if you're a parent about <laughs> to send your child off, watch it with them and then just watch them recoil in horror and say, yes, this is what happens if you are a jerk. And uh, yeah, I think that'd be great. Sure. Uh, Especially the younger they are, the better. Really? You are a terrible, terrible horror <laughs> human being. <laughs> I know. Um, I I'm, I'm also going to recommend this for uh, for people who absolutely love Let the Right One In, but want like the most Americanized version of that. Wow! Not Let Me In. Wow! I, I am aware of this the fact. Hilarious. I'm aware of the fact that Let I'm Me terrible. In exists. I'm aware of that. But let if it's like, so good. let the right one is, is an infinitely better movie. I, I think I, it's better. I, it's better definitely, but I don't know about infinitely better. Let me in's really good. Yeah, it is. And let the right one in is great. It is. Yeah, I agree. I have nothing against let me in. It's just, I, anywho, 
But Let Me In is still, uh, it's still trying to be a lot of uh, what Let the Right One In is because, like, it's pulling from the same source material. But if it's like, you know, I, I love Let the Right One In, but I want, you know, like the like the hot dog version of it. Wow. Like the... That, that analogy is... Uh, <laughs> that is a fascinating analogy. Am I wrong? So many reasons. I mean, I guess. Sure. <laughs> Not, it's just weird to say to put it that way. I mean, they both <laughs> have that same context of uh, a, little kids who have had very difficult upbringings, who are missing parents. Forced to fit who, into gender norms that they don't necessarily... Yeah, there's to. a lot of isolation. Yeah. There's a lot of bullying. There's a lot of taking revenge on the bullies. I, I, I really like this idea, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm sad right? that I didn't think of this first. This would be an interesting double feature. Yeah, and it is it is not just because the vampire in major spoilers. It's not just because the vampire in Let the Right One In is actually a castrated boy. Yeah, no, there's definitely more to it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, okay, there's definitely a lot of parallels to this. Yep. Interesting. Yep. You just get like, it's like the summer and winter version of the yes. story. Yeah, like cool. you have the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics. Exactly. Or in this case, you have the Winter Olympics and, you know, like Summer Backyard Games. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that is a good way to put it. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> or uh, as I recently referred to turkeys as uh, the redneck versions of peacocks. You know, that's... <laughs> because of- they literally have rednecks. <laughs> And because, you know, like peacocks are so flashy and so colorful and and then wild turkeys are just kind of there. Yeah. <laughs> Raising hell. I'd like to think that wild Dying turkeys young. actually do drink wild turkey. That's why they got the name. They just found some turkeys drinking this substance and like, yep, wild turkey. That's good. They just saw some wild turkeys drunk on moonshine. Yep. <laughs> there, there's a story there. <laughs> I love it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so not what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. Sleepaway Camp. It's it's a it is not a good movie, but it is a great unintentionally LGBTQ cult classic 80s slasher. It is movie. truly a fascinating movie. And I'm yep. glad that I watched it. But I'm also kind of upset that I watched it at the same time. <laughs> So if that tells you anything, anyway, watch it. Just watch it. You have to decide for yourself. And then watch the sequel. We'll cover that one eventually. Do I really want to watch the sequel? I heard they're bad. The second one's a lot of fun. Okay. Fun. Yeah. In air quotes. Okay. Yeah. Air quote fun. Cool. Okay. So. My favorite kind of fun. The second one has, um, spoilers, whatever. Who cares? It's a sequel. The second one has Angela making a lot more like James Bond style puns as she kills people. Oh man. That sounds awesome. It is great. That sounds so not like this movie, but also kind of appropriate. I don't know. That's weird. Like, I I, I don't remember if this is one that actually happens, but, uh, along the lines of like killing someone in an outhouse and saying that they really let their lives go down the drain, like that style (laughs) I find it funny that you said you put James Bond in there because James Bond isn't really known for 
quips that yes, I mean, he is. I, well, okay, I don't. Whenever he like kills one of the major bad guys, he always makes those terrible puns. Are you sure or, you're not thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger or I Freddy Krueger? I am positive. Or like, uh, I've never the, seen any of the Roger Moore Bonds. Maybe that's why I don't oh, know. No, they're all bad. I, I love Bond, but still, like one of the ones with Pierce Brosnan, where at the beginning he was in bed with a Danish woman. And he said, oh, I'm just brushing up on a little Danish. It's just like, oh, come on, oh, man. okay, yeah. So, okay. Like, it. yeah. Yeah. Cheesy. Yeah. Bad. Or, you know, like he had really had a, uh, I, I think the one where he killed Jaws or thought that he killed Jaws saying that he really had a magnetic personality, I think. <laughs> With his teeth and the magnet? Yeah. I've never, I haven't seen this, but this yeah. sounds hilarious. J- James Bond is terrible with his puns. Yeah. I love him. I know. Is that where you, is that, is he your inspiration? (laughs) You know what? It might actually be like some people watch James Bond. They're like, Ooh, guns are cool. I watch James Bond and I say puns Puns are hilarious. (laughs) Because that's what got the Bond girls. It wasn't all the action and machismo. It was his terrible puns. Is that a, that was the lesson. Slick (laughs) wordplay. Just, just can't help but fall for him. Oh man. Or like the little wink that Sean Connery would give anytime he made a pun. It's great. That's the thing. Sean Connery, he doesn't even have to say anything. I mean, like when I'm watching the movies, I'm ready to fall for him. <laughs> and those old ones. Not never say never again. But can could you ever do we're doing like our post credits thing? We're doing this we already. Get to the credits. Yeah, it's bad. Okay. I was start to, about to start going down a tangent of could you picture uh, Sean Connery being a mime? And he would just be sitting there, like, saying the lines of whatever the mime is supposed to be doing. <laughs> just describing what the yes. mime is doing? So the exact opposite of what a mime does? <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> oh, like, Masterpiece yeah. Theater with the guy just sitting there reading a book. There's a reason why we usually wait till the end of the podcast to <laughs> say the stupid stuff, because this is where everyone checks out. Oh, man. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Uh, Eric, where do you want people to find you? Uh, find me on Twitter at the Chimerican and on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. And you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at the Gargoyle Podcast, on Twitter at Gargoyle Podcast, and on Letterboxd at the Gargoyle. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes that we've been doing in our Camp Gargoyle series, just make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you are currently listening to this, click on subscribe and follow us and listen to more episodes. Uh, we have one more camp movie in our series, in our summer camp series. Uh, and then a few other surprises that are coming up that we need mm-hmm. to actually <laughs> get our schedules worked out so we can get those done. Exactly. Yes. So we have to go ahead and mention the next movie that we're doing is Wet Hot American Summer. Yes. And I want to mention that because one of my favorite letterbox reviews for Sleepaway Camp <laughs> is uh, from Chris Williams, who is um, a part of the We Are Rotten podcast, uh, also in Tennessee. And... Um, his letterbox review is, I totally forgot about this Wet Hot American Summer subplot. <laughs> and that's his review for Sleepaway Camp, which I thought was hilarious. So, yeah, there's our connective tissue between this episode and the next. Thank you, Chris. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> All right. Um, yes. Like the podcast. Follow us. Listen to us. Uh, listen to We Are Rotten. Listen to In the Mouth of Darkness. They, we really just need to do an episode of here are all the other podcasts we listen to. Yeah, we're going to do that at some point, I think. Yeah. I have a list. Yeah. Because I always have lists. It's For me, it's just my Stitcher list 
of the things. Yeah, just what you're subscribed to. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it, I actually it, make lists even though they already exist in some other form, which is just weird. But Like eight out of the ten recommendations are just going to be like very specific episodes of Junk Food Cinema and Shockwaves. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> pretty All right. much. <clears throat> All right. Um, that's been it for this episode. Not episode. Dang it. Sometimes I forget the theme that we're doing. All right, campers. That's been it for today at Camp Gargoyle. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. The Gargoyle. And I'm Camp Counselor Chimerican. And remember, kids, uh, maybe, like, don't try to do your hair in bed because that just seems dangerous, even if there wasn't a homicidal maniac on the loose. Yeah. Hey, Nathan. Yeah. Eat shit and die. (laughs) Hey, Eric. Yes? Eat shit and live. Thank you, Nathan. shit and podcast i mean i mean that from the bottom of my heart eat shit and die we are terrible how is that what we go out on this podcast on i mean that one makes sense because it was in the movie i guess i mean i was gonna turn it back around and be like and also like don't be a jerk to people don't be a bully i was gonna try to i could say that you're a meaningful thing you're a carpenter's dream Flat as a board and in need of a screw. Is that how it goes? Something like that. I don't like. Man, that line delivery of that that line in particular, the way she delivers it, is incredible. Like Judy, she doesn't play around, man. I Karen Fields, fantastic. And she never really acted after this. I just want to know what she was thinking in terms of the carpenter's dream like was she thinking that a carpenter wants to have sex with just a a flat piece of board with a knot in it or like was she talking about a carpenter building something because what carpenter is just like ooh, there's a flat piece of board i need need a screw yeah yeah it's weird like that that seems like a very lazy carpenter just like i'm gonna screw two pieces of wood together i'm i'm done the end it's not a lazy carpenter. It's just a lazy, <laughs> lazy metaphor. It's just a lazy insult. <laughs> oh man! There, I mean, there were worse ones in there. I didn't write them down because I, there are so many of them. Those kids are so mean. They are the worst. They're awful. Yeah. It's it's it takes a lot for me to uh, to root for the deaths of uh, some some teenage children. Well, and I say teenage children, I mean like young teenage children, like 13, 14 year olds, um, because as we all know that uh, children dying is not one of my favorite things in movies, but in this one, I was totally rooting for those kids to get it. Here's the thing though. These kids seem so much older. Like I know. um, Which is weird because normally the kids in movies are played by older people, but in this movie, they are actually the age that they are supposed to be. It's, it's, It's very strange. But it seemed like they were like 18 or 20 or just like. Yeah, it is super weird that some of these kids are like legit straight up kids in in this movie because it's um it, yeah it's hmm. it's not the cleanest of movies. Mm-hmm. It's a bit odd. A bit yeah. They are on a roof in that one scene. Yeah, throwing water balloons. That's weird. how did they not fall off? What kind of shoes have that kind of traction where you do not fall off a roof? Throwing water balloons at each other. Also. Did, did that scene remind you of the scene in Zoolander? Any? Because man, it sure with the gasoline me a bit. fight. Yes. Really? <laughs> um, no, it did not actually. But that's that's interesting that it made you think of that. How did it not remind you of that? Because they weren't playing Wham. They were in my mind. 
Uh, man, that would be good. We should re-edit it with Wham. Okay, we gotta go, Nathan. <laughs> we've taken this too far. Hey. Much like the ending of this movie. Hey, hey Eric. We've taken this too far. Uh, I can't. Even, I can't even do it right. I don't. How, how did they even make that noise? It's not human. I, it's so awful. Please yeah. don't do that. All right. I'm, I'm gonna find a video of turtles. Okay. Bye. <laughs>